today we begin our series for the month of December, Advent. This month we're looking at uh, a different uh, aspect of a theme as we do each year. And this particular um, year we're looking at a, a theme of the songs of Advent. Uh, different songs that we see in scripture that are not necessarily maybe songs that we would sing, but they're songs that come from scripture that reminds us of what truly the fullness of God's coming to us means for his people. And so today we're looking in the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bible, you can turn there in the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, possibly a familiar passage to some, uh, verses focus on 39 through 56. Um, just as a preface, before we read the scripture, uh, right before this, in the first part of chapter 1, you have the angel Gabriel that has just come and informed and spoken and told Mary that she would be conceiving and giving birth to a son who would then reign over the throne of David and all of Israel and the house of Jacob, and he would be called the Son of God. So here she has received this news that is quite, I'm sure, alarming, quite amazing to her, uh, much less how it came to her with an angel speaking to her these amazing words of truth, and we come to verse 39 of chapter 1 of Luke. Listen as I read God's word. At that time, Mary was ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Let's pray. Father, these words many of us have read before, we have considered this very story, this account of your servant Mary, the mother of Jesus. Father, give us understanding of her song, of the very song that you placed on her lips that we might understand more deeply your grace and your mercy to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Christmas is finally here. Uh, Thanksgiving came a little early, so it ushered in uh, Christmas even a little bit earlier. And so here we are. December has arrived. 
I'm sure many of you are already trying to consider the details that follow in the next few weeks. Gift buying, baking, cooking, maybe decorating the home or their places about. Planning for possibly a family gathering as you get closer to the actual day itself of Christmas. But amidst all the hustle and bustle, there is something that hopefully many, if not all of us, will enjoy. And that is Christmas music. So many people do enjoy Christmas music. It's nonstop on the radio, of course, but in your home possibly playing those Christmas hymns or Christmas songs that either maybe you grew up with or you just truly do enjoy particular songs. Every season you look forward to playing those songs, a certain rendition, whoever it might be or whatever orchestra might play it or however you desire the style of music, but it's just an opportunity to truly celebrate the coming of Christ through music and enjoy those songs of Christmas. Well, this season of Advent, we're going to be looking at these different songs of Christmas, songs of Advent, but today we're looking at a particular song from Mary. It's her song that she has list, uh, given us to listen to. It's a song that probably isn't on your iPod. It probably isn't something that you listen to as you're driving down the road, but it is a song that Mary sings that should penetrate the deepest part of our heart. We should connect with the song that Mary sings because it should resonate with the very gift of faith that God has given us to believe what he has done for us, just as he did for Mary herself. So we're going to look at a couple of verses that Mary gives us and then a chorus that she actually sings. The first verse is a verse of humility. It's a verse of humility that Mary speaks to us about. You see, after Gabriel told Mary that she would conceive a child, though being a virgin, can you imagine that news coming to Mary? And that he would then take over this child, this son that would be born over the throne of David and to reign forever, Mary gives a response to the angel Gabriel. Right before in verse 38, which is not here in the text listed in your bulletin, but if you have your Bible, you can read it there. Her response is truly a response of humility. She simply says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Can you imagine a young woman like her hearing this news? I'm sure she could have responded in many ways different than that. She could have responded with complete disbelief, an unwillingness to accept, to deny what this angel is trying to tell her or has already told her. But instead, with great submission, with the heart of willingness to comply and to follow, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then on in her song in verse 48, she says again, For my Savior has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, admitting and recognizing that she truly does not deserve such a gift, such a calling, such a responsibility that God has placed on her for, no, for nothing in her, she realizes, deserves such a calling and such a gift. Mary was able to sing this verse of humility because she accepted God's providence in her life. 
And for where Mary was as a young woman there in her state to accept God's providence the way that she did definitely communicates a state and a verse of humility that she sings. You see, though she was in a very difficult circumstance for a young, betrothed, Jewish young woman, Mary did not refuse or even challenge that we see God's providence given to her. She didn't challenge it. She didn't try to go against it. She received it despite even a full understanding. There's no way she could fully understand and grasp what God was doing at that moment when the angel came and communicated what he did to her. But she received it as much as she could and she accepted God's providence. She received it by faith and she trusted God at his word through his servant, his angel, Gabriel. You see, the essence of humility, which is what Mary sings in this song, the essence of humility is accepting whatever providence God brings into your life. The essence of humility is accepting and being willing to accept the providence of God, whatever it may be, as he brings it into your life, without defiance, without demand, or without dissent. But we receive God's providences. That doesn't mean we won't struggle, and it won't be difficult. In fact, in Luke 1, Mary was afraid, it says. She was emotionally struggling with what this providence was for her, but yet she received it and she followed with humility. You see, God's providence for Mary reminds us that there are providences that we will be given. Maybe there's already a providence. Maybe this very week or even today, God has given you a providence that you didn't expect. Maybe it's not one that even you desire today. And yet he has said, this is my will for you. This is my desire for you. It is for your good. It is for the betterment for you that this would take place. And this is for my kingdom and my purposes that they would all be able to be fulfilled that my purposes would be fulfilled even in this circumstance that right now for you may not be as desirable. Maybe even that which you don't understand, but you must trust me, God says. Trust me and walk in this providence. Mary has a verse of humility that she sings in her song, but she also has a verse of declaration Declaration that Mary speaks of. Look at verse 51 in her song. She says, For he has performed, that is, God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. See, Mary is declaring here that God's arm and power and his direction make sure that justice will prevail. Whatever would happen, God's justice would prevail and that those who would rise up against the Lord would be dealt with according to their own ways. 
Mary knew that God's providence would include justice, that God's providence would deal with those who would go against him, but those who would fear and lay themselves in humility before him and trust the Lord would receive his grace. In verse 52, she says, For he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the, thump, the, the humble. Mary acknowledges that it doesn't matter how powerful any particular ruler is. Even in her day, there were powerful rulers across the land and their provinces and all of the other nations around. And she knew of their power. She knew that she and her lowly state could do nothing against them. And yet she was one who trusted in the God who could, who did deal with the rulers of all nations. You know, as we have finished the election and we're moving forward now with our president for a second term, you know, God has called us to pray for and to yield ourselves to those who he has placed in authority over us locally, also in our state governments and our national governments. And even though we might disagree with any particular leader of our own country, we must submit our will to following God's providence for us and to pray for God to work in the midst and to work on behalf of those who are making decisions that affect our very lives. God gives us opportunity to do so. The thing is, whoever sits as the United States president is never outside of God's sovereign purposes. Whoever sits as the U.S. president, Democrat or Republican or any other party, they will never be outside of God's sovereign purposes and his control. Never. No matter how much we might struggle in a particular four-year period with any particular president, it doesn't matter who it is, we must not be so uh, dissatisfied or struggle to the point that we would keep our, uh, focus our hearts and our minds on that situation and forget the one who is in true over-sovereign control of everything that goes on in this world. Every nation, what's happening in Europe, what's happening um, in other places, in China, all the things that are happening, though they give us cause for concern, rightly so, nothing wrong with having some concern and praying for those concerns, the one who truly has control is God himself. And we must look to him. Are we seeking him? Are we praying and seeking his face in the midst of how our world continues to work? God calls us to do so. Mary understood that God rules over all rulers. But look at verse 53. She says, He has filled the hungry, declaring with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Mary is saying that God meets every need with his goodness. God meets the needs of his people with every good thing that comes from his hand. You see, God never acts capriciously. Never. He never acts with malevolence. He always acts from goodness. He always works and does things from a heart of benevolence. Always. So, 
Whatever providences come into our life, whatever breaks, whatever isn't working, whatever we are struggling with, it is not because it is cast down as a sword of vindictiveness and capriciousness upon God's people. It is directly from God's loving hand. Always from His kindness. Always from His goodness and loving kindness does He move towards His children. It may be firm, but it's always kind. It may cause us pain and struggle, but it will always bring about His purposes that are for our good. And we must trust in that. Mary knew that as she was experiencing that in her own life. Verses 54 and 5, she continues in her verse of declaration. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. You see, Mary is again reminding us in this song that God is faithful to generation and generation and generation. God's always faithful to his people, no matter what is happening in this world, no matter what is happening in all of creation that He Himself has made, He is faithful to us. He is faithful to our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. God is faithful, always. I'm not sure if I mentioned, but a few weeks ago I was uh, getting a quick bite to eat. Uh, sometimes I leave the office just to run out real quick, and I, I did on that day, and I happened to sit down at, uh, at this uh, just quick bite to eat at a restaurant, and I sat there uh, planning to spend about five or ten minutes, quick bite, and get back to work, and I sat next to this elderly woman. Probably, I would guess, in her 70s or so, and actually I found out she was 86. She told me. And she continued to speak to me for about 20 minutes, nonstop. Very kind, dear woman, but she told me so much about herself. Tell me about the Lord and about reading her Bible. She was on the ninth reading of her life, of the Bible, and she was going to get done. She just had a little more to go before she finished her ninth reading of God's Word in its entirety. I believe she said she had five, I think, children, 20 grandchildren. I think it was 10 or so great-grandchildren. Can you imagine knowing your great-grandchildren. This woman knew her great-grandchildren. And she kept speaking about God's faithfulness to her. What a joy it was just to hear a saint of her age who was quite spry. She drives a truck. She still gets on her roof and blows the leaves off with the blower of her home on her roof by herself and blows the leaves off. She goes, I'm not going to stop doing that. I like doing that. No one can tell me what to do, she said. I'll do what I want to do. She was an amazing woman. Just kept sharing all the things that she loved doing in her life, and she was going to keep going. And she kept every other, every other minute reminding me about what the Lord had done for her and what he continued to do for her and her family. You know, we need to be the same, continuing to remind ourselves and remind those around us of God's faithfulness to generation and generation. He's always faithful. But you know, probably out of all these declarations, there's one more. The most amazing declaration that Mary says in this song is in verse 49. 
Look at verse 49. She says, For the mighty one, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. The mighty one has done great things for me. What? This is Mary saying this. He's done great things for you? Look at your situation, Mary. How can you say, how can you declare that the Lord has done great things for you in your situation? Mary's situation, you have to understand again, was very difficult. Very, very difficult. She was engaged to Joseph, betrothed to Joseph. But in their culture and in their day, the only way out of a betrothal was for a woman if she died or if a husband had divorced her. And the only way that she could then consider her situation is that circumstance was very difficult. In fact, the betrothal period, which Joseph and Mary were in at this time, was very serious. Different than engagement is like today when two people get engaged. It's not the same equal apple to apples as betrothal was in the Jewish culture and in their understanding of that relationship ceremonially. You see, in the betrothal period, uh, if the husband died during the betrothal period, then the woman would be considered a widow. Would be considered a widow. If you had a, someone die in an engagement period today, you wouldn't call that person a widow. So for Mary to be found pregnant was a huge social stigma, to say the least, in this situation, so much that it makes sense for her to flee to her sister's Elizabeth, which she did for three months, and to go to Elizabeth's home immediately upon hearing this news and conceiving, and then to stay there for that so many weeks. If you just take it, first, take it at face value in the culture of the day, Jesus would have been born a bastard child to a mother who, at best, was immoral and promiscuous in society and unfaithful to her betrothed husband, Joseph. At face value, that's what she was facing. That's pretty difficult in her culture, in her day. If you ever lived in a small town, less than Oh, a few hundred people or even less than a few thousand. Everyone knows everyone. There's one, one elementary, one middle school, one high school. Everyone knows everyone's business. Multiply that times a lot. That was what Mary was experiencing. Everyone knew what was happening. Mary could have just said, I'm the victim here. This is not about anything I've done. The Lord appeared to me. And this is what he said. This is what he's done. I'm the victim. I will not consider what God is showing me and is telling me about his plan for my life. She could have rejected it. She could have said, I'm not going to see this trial that God has placed in my life as that which will increase my faith and dependence on him. I will not do that. I'm going to decide to allow this circumstance to drive a wedge between me and God. And I will not follow and submit. I'm the victim. There's circumstances, there's providences that have happened in your life just as they've happened in mine. And you can take and play the victim role. You can choose to say, I, it was not of my doing. I didn't do that. I had nothing to do with what happened here. Or we can choose to say, though I may not have overtly engaged in something that caused whatever has happened and difficulty in my life to happen, 
I'm in it. And God knew that I was going to be in it. He allowed for me and brought me to this place, and therefore he must have a purpose that I need to understand. He must have something that I need to trust. He must know something about my growth in him that he desires that I cannot see right now, and therefore I'm going to trust. I'm going to follow this providence. Mary chose that route. Look at her circumstances. She had unbelievable amount of stress in her life. The social stigma, the embarrassment, the estrangement from Joseph, being talked about and ridiculed, I'm sure, being distrusted by people now because of her state of being. Her integrity was questioned. Her chastity was questioned. And yet, she's brought to a place where she can say, He has done great things for me. How can she say that? He has done great things. Only God's mercy can bring a woman like Mary to say such words. Only God's love can bring someone in in these circumstances to say, He has done great things for me. Do you allow your circumstances to define or control you? Or do you look to Jesus to define and know that he's in control of your circumstances? Which is it? Which do you choose? Mary's declarations in her song are clear, and they remind us of God's goodness. But after these two verses, she now sings this chorus. It's a chorus of mercy. It's a chorus of what God's mercy has meant to her You see, Mary sings this chorus of God's mercy over and over again because her life is a life that displays God's mercy and grace. Here's a question. Was Mary very special? Was she special? You may say, well, yeah, she's pretty special. She's the mother of Jesus. Well, yes, in that sense, she was. No one else was the mother of Jesus. Mary was. In that sense, she was special. God chose her, no one else but her, in that position and, and offer and with that blessing. Did she receive God's grace, though, in a way that nobody else ever has and ever will? What do you think? I'm kind of digging at something. You're, you'll figure it out in just a second. If you look at the historical church, particularly, and maybe some of your background, in the Roman church, there is a very distinctive view about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Distinctive view that we need to understand whether it lines up with our understanding of what Scripture gives us with the person of Mary herself. Have you ever heard of a doctrine called the Immaculate Conception? The Immaculate Conception. You've heard maybe the phrase? What do you think it means? What is it exactly? Most people who have heard it spoken of and have used it even in many ways would think that it would be synonymous with the virgin birth, immaculate conception, Mary conceived from God. Therefore, that's the immaculate conception. Is that what most of you would probably agree would be the doctrine of if you're nodding yes, I think I've got you. No, that's not the actual doctrine itself of Immaculate Conception. It really is not about Mary conceiving 
from the Holy Spirit. In 1854, Pope Pius IX declared, which is now described in Catholic theology as the Immaculate Conception. And in their understanding, particularly as I looked it up, and it says these words in a Catholic encyclopedia, the state, what it is, it is the state of original sanctity, innocence, and justice, as opposed to original sin, was conferred upon her, that is, Mary, by which gift every stain and fault, all depraved emotions, passions, and debilities, essentially pertaining to original sin, were excluded. But she, that is Mary, was not made exempt from the temporal penalties of Adam from sorrow, bodily infirmities, and death. You understand? <laughs> Let me put it a little bit more in the vernacular. Immaculate conception is not referring to Jesus' birth without a human father. It is not describing even Mary as being conceived by the Holy Spirit like Jesus, as some might think. Immaculate conception means that Mary, whose conception was brought about the normal way with her mom and dad, she was conceived without original sin or its stain. That's what the doctrine states. She was kept from original sin or its stain. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sin. Mary did have the stain of original Adamic sin. Scripture is clear, I believe, on that note. Even earlier in chapter 28, or excuse me, in, in, in the chapter, in verse 28, if you have your Bibles, you can see there the angel Gabriel told Mary that she was highly favored, which means literally she was graced. She was graced. Only one of the time is that word used in the scriptures, and it's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, the same word placed as it applies to God's children, being graced, being highly favored by God. Mary was highly favored. There's a reason that she had to be graced, because she did have original sin. She needed God's grace. Only sinners need God's mercy. Only sinners need God's grace. And Mary needed God's mercy. Mary sang loudly of her need for God's mercy. She sang that chorus of God's mercy as her Savior, as her rescuer. Look at verse 46. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord. In verse 7, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then verse 50, for his mercy extends to those who fear him. Mary was a woman who depended on God's mercy. She knew that she needed God's grace and mercy in her life. And she praises God as her Savior. She doesn't, she doesn't say, I I my spirit rejoices in God, your Savior putting it in the third person. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's first person for her. It's, <clears throat> it's her Savior. Jesus is her Savior. God is her rescuer. He is the one who has shown her mercy. Mary understood her spiritual condition, and Mary understood God's mercy in his goodness. 
The gospel says that we all are needy people and we are all hopeless to meet that need in ourselves. We have to have God's grace and his mercy outside of ourselves come upon us and to us. Outside the mercy of God and the sacrifice of Jesus, we all have no hope. Mary knew that. She understood it even as simply as she did. Mary sings this chorus of mercy by faith because she has embraced the reality that God was providing a means of salvation for her. Not somebody else, for her. It was personal for Mary. God's mercy was personal, and she received that and accepted it by faith. You see, to receive God's mercy means that we don't receive what we justly deserve. Mary knew that she did not deserve all of God's goodness, all the great things he had done for her. She knew that, and she declared it, and she sang of God's mercy in this song in Luke 1. The birth of Christ means nothing. <clears throat> Listen, the birth of Christ means nothing absolutely nothing and has no effect on your life or my life if we don't admit that we are in a position of needing a Savior. If you're not in that position, a heart position where you say, I need Jesus. I must have his mercy and grace every day of my life. Then this Advent thing means nothing. There is no power for you. There is no presence of God in your life, for you do not need it. But if you bend the knee in great humility, declaring all that God has done for you, believing it with faith that he gives you and trusting in his mercy, then Advent, the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ, and the anticipation of his coming again. There will be another Advent where he will come. We know this. It will mean everything to you now and with your hope for the future. God gives us that gift. He's given it to Mary, and she has sang loudly this chorus of mercy that we can join with her and sing the same verse, the same chorus of God's goodness and grace in our life. May we do so together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have placed this song on the lips of Mary, your chosen servant. You have given her these verses to sing and this chorus to sing and that we can recognize how wonderful a gift your son is, not just to the mother of Jesus, but to all who have become your sons and daughters. All of us who have been brought into your family, our lips can now sing this chorus of mercy. We can praise you with the same heart as Mary had. Thank you, Father, for this gift. Help us this season to rejoice in your mercy, to sing to others around us about your mercy and your grace and not to neglect such great a gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
as we respond to God's goodness to us uh, in his word and what his gospel has shared with our hearts this morning, may we respond as the ushers will come by giving our gifts, our offering to him. As our guest, if you're here today, don't feel obligated to give, but may we rejoice of God's mercy for us and as we depend on him, give these gifts from our heart as an act of worship this very hour.
Please remember that there's an elder-led prayer team available to my right, immediately following the benediction, that if any of you desire prayer, please come and receive prayer and God's grace at this time. Receive God's benediction, and now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, present you faultless before his glorious presence, and he does so with exceeding great joy to the only wise God. Be glory, majesty, authority, both now and forevermore. Amen. Jesus, I say.